I'm Jordan. And I'm Kit. Welcome to Starry Time, where stars plus lines equal stories. On this month's podcast, we are going to be visiting Ophiuchus, the serpent bearer of the night sky. Our first season has focused on the zodiac constellations of the night sky. Often we associate the zodiac with the 12 astrological signs, but from an astronomical perspective, zodiac constellations describe those constellations that lie along the ecliptic plane. And the ecliptic is how the sun appears to move across the sky throughout the year, even though, of course, now we know that we on Earth are the ones that are moving. Mm -hmm. And so the ecliptic plane is different from the celestial equator, which I think has a better name. Mm-hmm. Um, but the celestial equator is the line that divides the northern and southern hemispheres in the sky. Perfect. Yeah. So that's just basically a mirror of our equator on the night sky. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the ecliptic plane is inclined from, from the celestial equator by 23.4 degrees. So yeah, there is a difference. All this to say that there are actually... 13 constellations that cross this ecliptic plane. And today, we'll be talking about the final constellation in this group, Ophiuchus, which I was pleased to learn is sometimes called Serpentarius. The secretary bird returns. Serpentarius, Serpentarius, (laughs) the return. Our most divisive topic by far in Starry Time. Uh, Yeah, you'll have to listen to our last uh, episode for details on Sagittarius Serpentarius. You can check out our Macedon and our Twitter where I've posted some pictures and you can weigh in on your feelings on this very um, contentious topic. You don't want to miss the controversy. (laughs) So speaking of controversy, I checked the IAU constellation guide and found that we pronounced the constellation name incorrectly in a prior episode. So never. (laughs) Me, always. Um, (laughs) But they provide two pronunciations for the constellation, which we've been using so far. So Ophiuchus or Ophiuchus. So we'll try to get it right. But, you know, once my brain decides on something, sometimes it's hard to get it to do something else. But, But we'll try our best to get it right. We'll make no promises, but I have been practicing all month. Ophiuchus, Ophiuchus, that's as good as I can do. So Ophiuchus, like all of our constellations so far, is one of the 88 constellations recognized by the IAU. And it is also one of the great 48 constellations identified by Ptolemy in the 2nd century. And like some of the other constellations we've discussed so far, which have links to Sumerian or Babylonian astronomy, or sometimes even earlier, Ophiuchus appears to be a constellation that was in fact created by the ancient Greeks. Yeah, so what did you think when you looked at this constellation? Could you see what the Greeks were getting at with this idea of a serpent bearer? What did it look like to you? Nah, it definitely (laughs) did not look like a serpent bearer. It looked again like a badge or a shield maybe a house or a teapot both of those ideas came back again but some of the drawings also included the serpent constellation in mm. the drawing which makes it more convincing as like a figure that's in relation to another figure but without that and just going by the iau drawing it was really hard for me to get even to like a stick figure of a person but how about you did you have any better luck kit i think knowing that it was a serpent 
like a person holding a snake like made it easier for me. I was like, okay, we kind of have like arms and legs and one of them seems to be holding something. But like you said, the serpent is actually a separate constellation. So I could I could kind of see it actually, but I but I had to know what it was, you know? Like I, if I knew what I was looking for, I could I could get there. And it lies between Scorpius and Sagittarius? Yeah, I know. We had to double check this um, because it seems like based on it being the 13th, you know, sign or, you know, constellation in this, that it ought to be after Sagittarius and between Sagittarius and Capricornus. But it really does, um, if you're really trying to find it, it's sort of a little bit north of and between Scorpius and Sagittarius. So we did double check that, but let's be more technical in case, you know. Let's be a little bit more technical, yes. Always. Um, Always. Ophiuchus has a right ascension of 17 hours and a declination of eight degrees and it's visible between latitudes 80 and negative 80 degrees Mm -hmm. so now we know where to find it what it looks like let's talk about its stars the brightest star in the constellation is alpha ophiuchi oh bear i'm so proud sadly we will not get to end the season with one last slam dunk on johan bear we have to give him some props here Perhaps we couldn't have done it without you, Bayer. Perhaps we could have done it much better if you'd never existed. (laughs) But here we are. Well, we got lots and lots of dunks in um, in this first season. So Alpha Ophiuchi is the head of the serpent bearer and also known by the name Rosal Hog, which is derived from an Arabic, which is derived from an Arabic phrase meaning the head of the serpent collector. It is a binary star comprised of a white subgiant or giant star and an orange main sequence star. Together, they have an apparent magnitude of 2.08, just still pretty dim, mm-hmm. and the system is 48.6 light years from Earth. The main star is rotating at 240 kilometers per second, which is slightly faster than Epsilon Sagittarii, the brightest star in Sagittarius. Yeah, so this is quick. It's it's really quick. It's so quick, in fact, that the star demonstrates what's called gravity darkening, which is basically when the poles of a star are brighter and hotter than the equator. Yeah, this is a really fascinating concept that you introduced me to, but the star gets sort of flattened, which brings the closer which brings the poles closer to the center of the star, which then increases the gravity there. Yeah, so at the equator, the star is actually less dense and cooler than at the poles, which is not typical. Reminds me of the poles on Earth. It's much colder up there, so this is the opposite. (laughs) Exactly. So that's the brightest star in the constellation. How about we move on to our next segment, Bayer's Variable Star. Did you happen to take a note or remember where we left off in the Greek alphabet? Yeah, so last month we talked about Gamma Sagittarii. So this month we're going to be talking about Delta Ophiuchi, which is also known as Yed Prior, which derives from an Arabic word meaning hand and a Latin word for prior or front. Wow, definitely just a mashup here. Okay, we got some Arabic, we got some Latin. All right. Yeah, so Delta Ophiuchi and Epsilon Ophiuchi are the left hand of this constellation. And Delta Ophiuchi is the fourth brightest star in the constellation. So as far as I know, that's the fourth letter in the Greek alphabet. Mm-hmm. Damn, Bayer's really showing off this time <laughs> around. Yeah, maybe this was his favorite constellation or he took extra care with it or something. Well, he might have because this star has a visible magnitude of 2.75, so it's not particularly bright. 
It is located 171 light years from the sun, and it's a relatively cool red giant star. It's suspected to be a variable star, and it is 59 times the radius of the sun, but only 1.5 times its mass, since it's in this expanded red giant state. Yeah, so I don't know. That's pretty much all I found about this particular star. Nothing super exciting here, and that's just kind of luck of the draw with Bayer's variable star. I'm glad we discovered this star together. (laughs) Let's take a quick break, and then let's get to who really counts. Our segment's Gold Star. Welcome back. This is our segment called Gold Star. In this segment, we alternate picking the star or space object in our Mm. constellation of the month that captures our mind, Mm. our heart, Mm. Perhaps even our soul? Mm. You'll have to let me know. Where'd you go with this one, Kit? All right. So you mentioned this is a big constellation. Lots of options. I was tempted by RS Ophiuchi, which is a recurrent novi, Mm. which had a brightening in 2021. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued by Barnard Star, which is the Mm -hmm. third closest star to our solar system after Alpha Centauri's binary system and Proxima Mm -hmm. Centauri. That was interesting. I was intrigued by M9, which is a globular cluster of suspicious origins. And there was even a stunning starburst galaxy called NGC 6250 that has two supermassive black holes. Yeah, there's a lot of option here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Frankly, I'm shocked you didn't go with the supermassive black holes. Mm. Are you... Just worried about being typecast as a black hole lover? Or did something else just somehow win your heart? So I wanted to talk about something we haven't talked about on the pod yet, which is a super bubble. I saw something about the super bubble when I was doing this research, and I couldn't understand it. It was pretty complicated (laughs) to me. Um, As far as I could tell, it just is like a giant area of empty space, but... Um, I'd love to know more. Can you give me some information about what exactly is a super bubble? Yeah, so a super bubble is also sometimes called a super shell. Do which one do you like better? Oh, I like that one a lot better. <laughs> super shell sounds like it could be like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle character. So yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> so basically, my understanding is that it's a bubble of hot gas that's created by supernovae of massive stars and stellar winds. And together, these phenomena clear out a region of space. And within this cleared out region, you now have this hot, low-density bubble of gas surrounded by cooler gas and dust from the supernovae being pushed by the stellar winds. And so... In these regions, um, we sometimes see new stars form along the surface, you know, where the Mm -hmm. cooler dust and gas is. But we can also see established stars end up in these areas uh, that are relatively empty um, just due to their usual orbiting behavior. So, for example, our solar system is in a super bubble. Mm -hmm. That super bubble is called the local bubble. um, And it's probably not the only super bubble that our sun has been in. Interesting. All right. So the only time I'd ever heard of this local bubble before was in terms of when they will say on websites or on NASA, our galactic address, Mm -hmm. and they'll do it out as if they were writing a letter to us from another galaxy. But Mm -hmm. I never really knew what that meant, local bubble. So are there a lot of these super bubbles out there in the universe? 
Yeah, so these exist, uh, multiples of these exist all across our universe. And so usually they're hundreds or thousands of light years across. So we're in the local bubble and astronomers have actually mapped this. They've created a 3D model of the local bubble that we're in. And I will definitely post that on our socials because it's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also the uh, Ophiuchus super bubble. It's another one of these super bubbles. The Ophiuchus super bubble is around um, 23,000 light years away from us. And what's interesting about it is that it's blown through the galactic plane by about 10,000 light years. Okay, yeah. So the Ophiuchus super bubble came, said hi, and left a long time ago. It's been around for a while. I wish that I could say more about like how it was formed specifically and about why it blew through the galactic plane or how old it was, but there only seem to be a handful of academic papers on the super bubble. And I'm sure there's lots of other cool stuff about it, but you know, we're amateur astronomers. I really wasn't able to make too much sense of the more technical parts of these academic papers. And I hadn't seen any sort of, you know, science communication about it. So, um, so we did the best we could, but I don't have too much more to say about it. I think you did a great job. And it was cool to learn about something that connects our location, the local bubble, to a location in the universe, the Ophiuchus super bubble. Something I never would have been able to connect the dots with without this month's gold star. So thank you. And I'm happy to welcome the Ophiuchus super bubble to the gold star of the month club. Welcome back. So far, we've talked astronomy with our segments Cosmic Background, Brightest Star, Bayer's Variable Star, and of course, Gold Star. Okay, it's time. Let's get to the myths of Ophiuchus. This one, I had no, I had no ideas. I, a total well, mystery. To be fair, that's something you have in common with the people of antiquity, because there are a few varying opinions about the source of this myth. Yeah, it seems like there's a few different ideas about who the serpent bearer even is. Exactly. The most common story that kept coming up is that the serpent bearer was a figure known as Asclepius. He's best known as the god of medicine and healing, but he wasn't actually born immortal. He was a half-god, a son of Apollo, but his mother is usually identified as Coronis. Some traditions state that he was just a son of Apollo, and they don't even make any reference to any other parents. I mean, thanks, patriarchy. But in the stories that do involve Cronus, she's a mortal woman, and she cheated on Apollo, and is therefore either killed by Apollo or by its twin Artemis, because, you know, she's got his back. But Apollo still rescues their baby, either by cutting it out of her burning body, or just by rescuing her in time to birth him and then... Cronus dies. Brutal. Just so brutal. <laughs> All right. Well, evidently, Apollo has bad future planning, which is ironic because he's a god of prophecy. But he decides he doesn't want to raise little Asclepius. So Asclepius is shipped off to the centaur Chiron, who we discussed last episode. Right. And um, that's a centaur who's actually a centaur, not a satyr on a horse. Right. So again, Asclepius, our son of Apollo and a half-god, grows up under the tutelage of Chiron and learns a lot about medicine. Somewhere along his life path, Asclepius learns how to bring people back to life. 
AKA he becomes a resurrectionist. And either he learns this from killing a snake and seeing another one heal from it, or either he learns it from Athena, or maybe he learns it by creating some sort of concoction of snake venom and Gorgon Medusa blood potion. But either way, he figures out how to raise people from the dead. Yeah, either literally or figuratively, DSX Machina, presto healing powers. <laughs> and being the kind of guy he was, kind of lonely, kind of got some abandonment issues, Asclepius starts going around and healing people and bringing them back from the dead, you know, willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. And in turn, guess what? People, they love this guy, Asclepius. <laughs> But turns out, our guy Asclepius is actually really cramping the business of Hades and the underworld. And being the crybaby, I guess he is, he complains to his big brother Zeus. And he's like, Asclepius is raising people from the dead. He's stealing my dead people. Anyways, Zeus, not always the brightest bulb, but always happy to have an excuse to use a thunderbolt, throws it down to Earth and... Bye-bye, Asclepius. So rude. Very, very rude. But now it's where it gets interesting. Because Apollo suddenly is a good dad and cares about his kids. (laughs) He really wants to honor the memory of Asclepius, even though he shipped him off to this centaur, satyr, Chiron to deal with his whole life. But anyways, Apollo, feeling some rage or indignity, kills the Cyclops, who made Zeus's Thunderbolts, which gets him just a quick one-year ban from Mount Olympus. I like to call that malice at the mountain. Just a little mouth. <laughs> After this exchange, i.e. my kid Asclepius, for your friend Cyclops, I guess Zeus feels bad because he decides to put Asclepius into the night sky. And then I guess he feels even worse because then he resurrects him at Apollo's request and even makes him a god up there. Oh, so it's fine when Zeus resurrects people, but when a mortal does it, it undermines Hades. Hades is a little weak sauce. And I think this was by far, like you said, the most common version of the Ophiuchus myth. And I guess the reason for him being a serpent bearer is because maybe he learned about the healing powers, the resurrection ability from snakes, which were associated with wisdom and resurrection and healing for the Greeks. Um, But in some versions, Ophiuchus is just Apollo fighting with the snake that guarded the Oracle of Delphi. But that version of the myth did not make any sense to me because the Oracle of Delphi was the high priestess of the Temple of Apollo. My read was it's just sort of a simplified version where Apollo is a hero defending this temple against a snake, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense as far as like a compelling narrative. Yeah. Um, Another less common association in Greek myth with Ophiuchus is with Laocoon, who was a Trojan priest Mm. who tried to tell the Trojans that the horse was a trap and he was killed by snakes sent by the gods to punish him for something. Ah, well, as they say on Mount Olympus, snitches get snakes, so (laughs) it makes sense to me. Well, it's funny because it's not clear, like, 
if he's being punished by Athena, right, for trying to spoil the plans, right, to spoil the plans, uh, because in, so that might be what's happening. But in some versions of the story, he's killed by Poseidon or Apollo for, in both cases, having sex on holy ground. So. <laughs> All right, yes, either don't snitch on the gods' plans or don't have sex on holy ground or preferably do none of the above. But either way, as we've learned in ancient Greece, two strikes and you're out. Uh, It's tough to be Laocoon, but I did read that there's an asteroid named after Laocoon and it's called 3240 Laocoon. So that's cool. Yeah, perfect. An asteroid doomed into an eccentric orbit, barely remembered by anyone. I guess that makes it all worth it. Cool, 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 cool. Let's dig in a little bit to these myths. They're pretty different. Not a lot of overlap here. Either you're resurrecting people or warning people of impending death, the Trojan horse. Not exactly any consistency here. Mm. The first myth, it seems to be explaining quite basically why people aren't immortal. It sort of seems to be just like a basic tale that reinforces the idea that death is inevitable, unavoidable. I guess this is one of many stories that you need maybe to explain the inescapability of mortality. Yeah, and I think it does make sense why snakes get tied into this, especially if you think about the shedding of skin and trying to make sense of like these creatures that it kind of might seem like resurrection. Um, And it kind of makes sense to me why snakes get tied into this issue of death and resurrection and immortality, um, because it must have been very mysterious um, to see these like, you know, skins of snakes seeming to continue on so i it sort of makes sense to me why that imagery goes along with this story a classic example of explaining just like this natural world here as we Mm -hmm. see the snake shed its skin and leave like a ghost form in its Mm -hmm. wake and people in ancient times would use this imagery of course um in their own mythology but in the version where asclepius is just Apollo fighting a snake, like the dumbed down version. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have any real themes here other than it's just like a basic hero story, mm-hmm. like person versus snake. Uh, we've done a bunch of these so far. Hercules mm-hmm. does 12 of them. But anyways, <laughs> it's just a person or a god that we're supposed to worship because right. of their incredible behavior or bravery i mean there's not too much to the story so there's not too much to take away yeah we Um, don't really learn like why the snake is attacking the temple we don't really learn like if apollo and the snake barter for terms (laughs) yeah it's all pretty vague yeah Totally. Um, And then for the Trojan priest story, I think it really demonstrates the sort of petty, fallible nature of these gods, right? They, Mm -hmm. it's also a way to sort of remind people to respect them, to reinforce norms about how, how quickly the gods can act. So I think that that's sort of all that one is about. I mean, since we don't even know which god strikes out (laughs) against this guy, I think... I think, like, the broader theme is, yeah, gods are fickle. You might cross them without even knowing. Mm -hmm. So keep your secrets to yourself. Best case scenario, you get killed and get an asteroid named after you. So, yeah. So I think definitely the myths this month had a little bit less to unpack than in prior months. But let's take a quick break and hear what we came up for for our reconciliations. Welcome back to our segment, Rec Constellation. In this segment, we reimagine, reboot, 
and revive the myths of our monthly constellation in hopes to either modernize, subvert, or deepen the story of this constellation. Sometimes it's all we can do just to make them a little less cringy. All right, let me start, Kit. I really do like the original myth, so I'm not actually that committed to changing it. I think it's pretty, pretty great. Aside from murdering a mortal woman for cheating, and you know Apollo's cheating. Facts, but <laughs> I do, I do like this person being punished for bringing the dead back to life, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's a myth yeah. you're going to have to tell one way or another. True. Um, and it's sure, it's a little soap opera that the mortal woman gets killed just in the crossfire. Sure. Yes. But besides that. As a myth about why immortality is impossible, mm. it's kind of hard for me to do much better. And then tie it in with the biological elements of the snake skin and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. I think it's all really well done. But I did have a few alternatives. Okay. My first was a kind of a love story, actually. It involves perhaps maybe we have someone named Serpens or something close to Serpent that could get retranslated or mistranslated Mm -hmm. into serpent perhaps this person falls in love with a healer named ophiuchus and zeus or apollo find out and you know they'll condone whatever this type of relationship is you can make it basically any type of forbidden Mm -hmm. love but anyways apollo zeus finds out about this love affair turns the lover into a snake and then banishes them into the sky. And then we have our main figure of Ophiuchus, who then spends the rest of their life in this situation, you know, looking up at the stars, seeing their love and wishing upon wishing they had some sort of cure. But then, of course, you know, it doesn't happen for Ophiuchus and he dies. I guess with time, maybe like Apollo or Zeus, whoever it is, you know, they start to feel sympathy about this actions that they did. And they start to feel like maybe they used violence in order to ruin something that was really powerful and really loving. So they decide that maybe one way to make it right would be to send Ophiuchus into the night sky next to Serpens, their lover, mm-hmm. and they could be embracing for all time. So mm-hmm. that was my first sort of reconciliation, was basically just a forbidden love story. Yeah. I like that it has more snake in it. Like, the, it makes sense why the snakes are involved. So that's good. I like it. I think uh, you can do a shorter version of it, or you can tell it with, you know, more flair or poetry, but you get what I'm going at here. And then my last retcon, and this is even simpler than the past two, um, I just want a serpent bear. Serpent um, bear. Like, yeah, so, yeah. Like a, like the animal a bear. Yeah, yeah, but with like some serpent qualities. <laughs> yes. So, what so part, the name what of the constellation, <laughs> so the name of the constellation, of course, is the serpent bearer. Right. But... I've been watching a lot of Avatar lately. I've been getting really into hybrid animals, whether they be turtle ducks or platypus bears. But the idea of a serpent bear, um, perhaps, um, you know, a bear's front legs, head, Mm -hmm. jaws, face, and then a serpent's tail. You know, Mm. it's just a two-legged creature. Right. I think a creature like that, unfortunately, doesn't have a place yet in our mythological creature index. But I think this serpent bear is something we shouldn't just, like, blow past. 
Well, it does tie back to the the Babylonian god Nera, that was part serpent, um, which some people think is related to this constellation of Ophiuchus. Um, so yeah, ser- serpent bears, that's the idea. Here's what happened this month. I had one idea mm-hmm. and then I just couldn't I just couldn't get it out of my head. And like no matter what I did, I was like, I ha I just I don't want to come up with anything else. <laughs> All right. Great. So you're like, my brain's stuck. All right. I'm mm-hmm. excited. Yep. Fill me in. So my retcon is very simple. Mm-hmm. It's a modernizing of the iconography, mm-hmm. which I think will get more young people or at least more millennials into astronomy. My retcon was sort of inspired by your suggestion of replacing Virgo with Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. But instead... I would like to replace Ophiuchus with the mm. singular iconic diva of the 2000s, the one, the only, Britney Spears. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> exactly. Back in 2001, during the VMAs, Britney performed her uh, hit single, ranked number three in the Billboard's top 100 songs of 2001, mm. I'm a Slave the number four, and the letter U. I'm a slave for you. Right. So during her VMA performance, Brittany begins enclosed in a cage with a lion. Leo. Yep. Um, she exits in a green crop top and a bejeweled bottom that has sort of scars hanging off of it. And mm-hmm. then she proceeds to get her dance on, as mm. she does. And uh, at two minutes and 20 seconds into her about four minute performance, she turns to one of her um, dancers and mm-hmm. dons an albino python living mm. real snake over her shoulders, continues her live performance, like walks all around the stage. There are people reaching out and touching this snake. She is just hanging out there for about a minute, um, you know, snake on her, walking around, shaking her booty. And... um. And then about a minute, she has the python on, then, you know, hands the python off, finishes strong, more dancing. This isn't Britney's best performing song, but I think it's certainly one of her most iconic ones. Definitely has a lot more pop culture relevance than Asclepius, whose name I can't even say, you know. (laughs) I mean, Right? Britney, much easier. A huge moment for Britney. Huge. One of the iconic moments of the 21st century. Yeah. And again, blows Asclepius out of the water. I mean, when pop culture or when culture gives you a rec constellation this good. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, you're powerless, but to say yes. Exactly. Honestly, like I said, I like this myth to begin with. I didn't think it really needed too many retcons, but if such a need did arise, I am grateful that you at least presented an option that involves the one and only, the immortal, Britney Spears. Alright y'all, time to wrap things up by getting a little less serious and a lot sillier in our final segment, Pop Culture Superstars. In this segment, we share our favorite and least favorite occurrences of this month's constellation in pop culture, and then we wish upon a star for what we think should exist. 
Awesome. So there was not a lot to choose from this month, Mm -mm. uh, surprising no one. Uh, Do you want to start off with what your favorite was? I expect we'll probably go pretty quick here. Yes. My favorite and my least favorite are the same. Great. But it is the Asclepius medical logo that we see in tons of hospitals. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an official symbol. It's a staff with a snake. Mm -hmm. And I saw other options, such as a manga character and a band, Mm -hmm. neither of which were too compelling. Um, Mm -hmm. So my favorite and least favorite was literally just the one symbol I could find where it still exists in our culture at all mm-hmm. you yeah. know besides Brittany so yeah <laughs> that's once you took Brittany off the table mm. this is as close as I could get to relevance what about you what did you pick as your favorite or your least favorite wherever you'd like to start yeah so my favorite I found an album by NK music called Ofukius. Wow. now I got all the way through this part of the podcast and then I wasn't able to pronounce it. That's fine. We're all fine. This is sort of like a lo-fi album released in 2020. I could not find very much about the artist. He's got a YouTube channel and an Insta that has like five pictures not much else. Respect. I love that kind of like, I have no pictures of myself. Here's just what I'm doing. I'm like, respect. Um, But yeah, Ophiuchus, the album, very good like working music i listened to some tracks while i was working on the script and doing research and so um yeah i liked it and that was my favorite so what was your least favorite well you know that i tried to look for a glyph on the stargate but (laughs) there isn't it doesn't even have one wow so stargate it's not even good enough for the stargate huh? not even good enough for the stargate um so i I was just gonna be like i'm not gonna pick anything but then i saw a youtube video about a ps4 game called semiel the legacy of ofucus whoa and this random person called it the worst game ever made (laughs) and on Metacritic, the user score was like a 5 out of 10. So I guess this video game isn't very good, but I haven't played it. Um, I don't even know what the premise of it is. Um, there was just, there wasn't a lot to choose from. So I trust this YouTuber um, who probably has played a lot more video games than me. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me. Bad name, bad game. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. This one again, hard to say, hard to spell. However, now's our chance, Kit. We got to determine yeah. something Ophiuchus themed in pop culture. What would we want to exist? Oh my gosh, I have I have two really good ideas. Okay, great. <laughs> do you want to trade back and forth? I also have two ideas. Okay, let's do one each and uh, we'll do it that way. That sounds great. Perfect. I'll let you start. All right. So my very first idea, as soon as I saw the name Ophiuchus, mm. um, I had to go with Camera Ophiuchus, hmm. which is a play on Camera Obscura. Okay, good, And good. <laughs> Camera Ophiuchus is an Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat filter that gives you a Britney Spears VMA snake. Wow, incredible. And it plays, <laughs> it plays a random Britney Spears song uh, for you to dance to. So that is Camera Ophiuchus, and I feel very good about it. That is wonderful and more creative than my first offering. 
However, mine is also another play on words. Great. As your camera Ophiuchus is a play on camera obscura, mm-hmm. my edition, Mount Ophiuchus, oh. is a play on Mount Olympus. Okay, I like it. Yep. And it is a snake coaster, a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Finally. So we're going to have a big mountain. We're going to have it maybe be in the figure of Apollo or Asclepius. Mm. And then we're going to have a roller coaster that goes straight up and then winds all the way down. Mm. I'd love to be spiraling around Apollo, um, Mm -hmm. regretting, you know, every moment of my decision making as the gravitational (laughs) forces scream at my face. So that was my first playful edition. Will you give me your next offering to the Ophiuchus pop culture bandwagon yes so my second one um was inspired by the astronomy and it Mm. is the ophiuchus super bubble bath whoa wow what real bad (laughs) it's exactly what it sounds like um it's probably got glitter in it um it's probably green uh, or purple or something uh it just seems like a great you know it's it's got an appealing sounding name excellent work (laughs) Sephora, uh, mm. other companies out there, you're leaving something on the table here by yeah. not uh, using more Ophiuchus branding. My second option is a major motion picture. Mm. I would like to see Indiana Jones and the Tomb of the Serpent Bearer. Mm. So yes, we have a new Indiana Jones movie coming out right. this spring. And it has something to do with a dial of destiny. Whatever. Who cares? Indiana Jones never mm-hmm. been afraid of destiny. You know mm-hmm. what Indiana Jones is afraid of? Snakes. Snakes. So I want to tie this whole mythos together for Indy. <laughs> right. Wrap it up. Yeah. I want there to be some sort of disease. Right. That Indiana Jones needs to go to the serpent bearer's tomb. Who's obviously Britney Spears. To get the cure for. <laughs> so in this... In this movie, not right. only will Indiana Jones face his biggest fears right. at the Ophiuchus Temple, right. he will also find the cure for some sort of universal pandemic that is plaguing mankind. So that's my pop culture dream scenario. We get Indiana Jones and a temple full of snakes. Maybe at the end... Maybe at the end, the ghost of Britney Spears mm-hmm. and the ghost of Asclepius both Great. come down and offer Indiana Jones some sort of cure-all panacea. And he has to choose between Asclepius and Britney Spears. Mm. And obviously, he chooses correctly, Britney Spears. <laughs> and he's able to save mankind. Well, I think that sounds good. I'm showing up for that film. I, I think it's important that Indiana Jones faces his fear of snakes some real uh character growth the stakes are Obviously. high the stakes are very high well kit it's only a matter of time before one of our wishes comes true this has been kit And Jordan. Sisters, lovers of stars and stories. And we'll see you next season. On Starry Time.